So this morning, I want to give just a brief introduction. It will cover some of the points that I made last week because this is something we're going to be coming back to over and over again in the subsequent weeks. As I want to, as a congregation, go on an exercise with you that we look at various, some sample instruction of Scripture that I think are very important and look to identify what is the scriptural truth and then how do we apply that today. You see, we have a task before us as believers to, that's twofold. One is to correctly interpret Scripture. To be able to look at the Scripture and understand what it says. And to repeat from last week, what you and I must always remember is that Scripture means what it meant when it was written. We cannot make Scripture mean today what it didn't mean when it was written. Nor can we make Scripture not mean today what it meant when it was written. So that's the first task, understanding what is the truth of Scripture. And then the second task is to take that truth that was written several thousand years ago and bring it across those years to our lives today and apply it in our lives in a meaningful and God-honoring way that brings glory to Him. And that is not an easy task. That is a challenging task, but it's one that I want to call all of us. I want to call you as individual believers. That is a task you must embrace because all of us are going to be accountable one day to our response to this word. Not to the church that we were a part of, but to God's word. And unless we accept that responsibility to determine the truth of God's word and apply it, then what this book becomes is an historical record of how God related to people in years past, and that's valuable, and a possible suggestion for how we might live today. And God's Word is intended to do much more than that. Well, one other thing before we jump into this morning's message, to further complicate that process. Uh, you've often heard before, you have a road and you have two ditches on each side, and, and the challenge is to stay, not, not get in this ditch nor in that ditch, but to stay in the middle of the road. There are two ditches that really complicate and have plagued the church over the many years that has created so much disunity and divisiveness in the church. The first of those is legalism. Now, all of us are familiar with that word. You know that word's not found in the Bible. <laughs> okay. That's the word we've come up with. But, but what is legalism? Well, there, there are two aspects that, that create a problem for us. One is when we believe that our obedience to Scripture earns, earns justifying favor with God. You see, it's faith in Christ that saves us, not obedience to Christ. Faith in Christ is what saves us. We obey Christ out of love for Him, not to be loved by Him. And then the second aspect of legalism is when we take 
issues where we have Christian liberty and we change those into commands. We dare not declare that the Scripture says what the Scripture does not say. And too often that has happened. And unfortunately, when we go that route, eventually people understand and they start looking at Scripture and say, wait a minute, I don't see if the Bible says that. And what we greatly do then is we weaken the authority of Scripture. And all of a sudden the Bible becomes just a whole book of suggestions. And it's been to our, 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 our loss. Well, that's the one ditch. And as we look at these various topics in the next week's coming, I want to show you how we can stay out of that ditch. The other ditch is Christian liberty. I'm sure you're familiar with that. A believer's right to make whatever decision they want because we're under grace. That we're not subject to the commands of God. Well, there are issues where God's commands stop short of application. And even though there are biblical parameters that limit our choices and must inform our choices, often there is not one uniform application that Scripture demands. We as believers today, who have the presence of God, Holy Spirit within us, are to seek guidance from His Spirit. And His Spirit always supports the Word. Always. God's Spirit never detracts from His conflict with His Word. And His Spirit, who always supports the Word, can guide us in developing our convictions. One of the things we have to remember is that Christian liberty begins where a scriptural command ends and not before. Christian liberty that we have in Christ does not supersede or excuse us from His commands. And, of course, I mentioned last week, the Scripture clearly commands believers to submit to the authority that we're under, whether it's parental, whether it's your school, whether it's your employment, whether it's your church. If things are asked of you that do not conflict with Scriptural commands, you should submit. You are called to submit. Well, this morning, that land... A backdrop, we want to look at the grace of giving. The grace of giving. Yes, I'm talking about money. I'm not talking about time. I'm not talking about treasure. I'm talking about giving. And I know that's a hot spot. You don't say, what? no one's supposed to talk about giving. But the Bible talks about giving. The Bible talks about giving. And so this morning, if you open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Verses 1 through 15, I'm not going to read that immediately, but that is where we're going to be looking. And again this morning as we look at a topic, what I want us to do as I introduced last week, one of the things that we need to always seek to do is understand what is God's perspective. What is God's perspective on a topic? What does this recommend? Why does He ask what He asks? And then what's also helpful is what is the aspect of human depravity that fights against that. And if we can identify those two, usually that's quite helpful in understanding an application that we may want to have to honor God and not yield to our human depravity. Now in this passage, the Apostle Paul is addressing the church of Corinth about the necessity 
of developing the grace or gift of giving. Yeah, think cash, think check, think wallet, think pocketbook this morning, think savings account, think your allowance, your paycheck. What I want us to understand this morning is that when we look at the New Testament compared to the Old Testament, the gospel introduces us to an entirely new perspective on what it means to live by biblical standards. You see, as new creatures in Christ, the gospel makes scriptural commands so much a part of us that discipleship is not primarily about following, understanding and following a set of of rules. Discipleship is cooperating with the spirit within us. It's having our heart's desire to walk in close close fellowship with our Savior. You see, that's a dramatic shift from the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament covenant, the saints who lived under the Old Testament, now there were a few like Abraham who had direct contact with God, communication with God, but for the most part, the Old Testament saints strive to live in accordance with externally imposed commands. Indeed, they lived under the law. They did not have God's Spirit within them. They did not have a relationship with Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do we have? And the gospel has turned the whole thing around. And we must be willing to do that as well. Biblical principles, Scripture, still needs to be understood still needs to be obeyed. But Christian living today depends on the change God has made inside us. As Christ said to Nicodemus, a man must be born again. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's not just referring to behavior. That's referring to how we think. That refers to how we embrace the teaching of God's Word. Our desire changes. And so we come to realize that biblical principles reflect the heart of someone who loves us and redeemed us. And so we receive that direction not as something that's required of a slave, not something that's imposed on us, but rather it's a welcomed opportunity to live for God's glory. That's the difference of the gospel. And so therefore, you're going to find when we look at this passage, if Paul does not issue a mandatory command to give a certain amount. Rather, he appeals to the Corinthian believers to consider God's grace poured out in their lives, and to graciously then offer what they have to God and to others. We're going to find as we look at this passage that it's grace from one end to the other. In fact, the word, Greek word for grace occurs five times in the first nine verses. And the message of Paul is not about the amount we should give, but rather the motivation, the reason the desire to give. Remember, the why we give. 
is more important than what we give. The why is always more important than the what. Well, before we jump in this passage, I want us to do a brief review so we get God's perspective. Let's do a brief review of God's commands for His people to give in the Old Testament. Now, actually, in the Old Testament, there were several types of mandatory giving. We don't find that in the New Testament. We don't find that in the New Covenant. But in the Old Covenant... There were several types of mandatory giving. This prescribed or commanded giving was compulsory for every Israelite who considered himself to be faithful to the covenant of God with his people. It was not optional. It was commanded. It was mandatory. Well, first of all, you're probably aware of the tithe, the Lord's tithe, or the Levite's tithe. We find that in Leviticus 27.30. And that went to support the priest's ministry in the temple and later, or the tabernacle and later the temple. Leviticus 27.30 stipulates a tithe or 10% of everything produced from the field, whether grain or fruit or livestock or produce, that belonged to the Lord and was holy to the Lord. Again, that tithe was not optional. And any man who did not comply with that was viewed as robbing God. So that's 10%. Well, there was a second tithe. There was a festival tithe. You find this in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. You see, when the Israelites reached the promised land... They were then commanded to annually bring a tithe or 10% of their increase to the place the Lord would choose as his dwelling. And that verse, those verses say that this tithe was to be used for religious celebration to bring family and friends together. Uh, sounds like an annual reunion of sorts. Well, that's two tithes. So we're up to 20% now, mandatory, compulsory, not optional. Well, then there was the poor tithe. In Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29, every three years, an Israelite was commanded to bring 10% of his increase and share it for the support of the Levites who received no land in the promised land and also for the support of the stranger and the widow and the fatherless. That was every three years. So annually, what? Three and a third percent. So now we're up to 23 and a third percent. Mandatory. Not optional. Commanded. But it didn't end there. There also was a mandatory sharing of your crops with the poor. You were to not harvest the corners of your field. You were to leave the gleanings when harvesting. You were to not go over your vineyard twice. You were not to pick up the grapes that fell to the ground. Now, that probably wasn't a large amount. I don't know, 1%, 2% maybe. And then finally, there was the temple charge. Every Israelite male was to bring a third of a shekel as an offering. So, Total, I don't know, 23, 25% of their income every year. No options. Mandatory. Compulsory. 
Now, in addition to that, there were voluntary offerings, free will offerings. There was that beautiful one, the first fruit offering, where they, before they harvested, would go and get some of the very first fruits and give them ahead of time. It was like a faith offering that God would now bless the rest of their harvest. And, of course, there were various times when the tabernacle was being built, when the temple was being built, where the people were invited to bring and share freely. Now, all of these offerings were not because God needed anything from them. I think we understand that. They were not called to give because God needed. They were called to give so that they would never forget the grace that God showed them in delivering them from bondage in Egypt and giving them the promised land. Well, let's turn to our text now. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. You see, we are now in the age of the manifestation of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We no longer celebrate our deliverance from Egypt. We no longer celebrate that we were given the promised land. We celebrate the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the new covenant we have in His blood. And so Paul in this passage seeks to motivate, not command, the Corinthian believers to develop a grace of giving. And I love the way he does it. He motivates them by asking them to consider the Macedonians. Let's look now at these first, uh, this passage, and we'll kind of go through it in sections. The first four verses, he says to the Corinthian church, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on us, on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive their gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now the Macedonians were poor. The Greek word for poor here, bathos, means deep. Paul says the Macedonians were in deep poverty. Uh, we today probably would say they were <laughs> at the bottom of the barrel. Or maybe you've heard the expression, dirt poor. That was the Macedonians. And in addition, they were facing severe trials. Literally, they were crushed for life. And out of their impossible situation, they did the impossible. Verse 2 says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty produced what? Welled up in rich generosity. You see, that's an incredible statement. For the poorest of the poor to joyfully give is only possible by the grace of God. Did you hear that? For the poorest of the poor to give generously is only possible by the grace of God. Verse 3 says they gave literally contrary to their ability to give. And notice in verse 4, Paul didn't beg them, they begged Paul. You see what happens when grace motivates a heart? When grace motivates a heart, giving is not dictated by perceived ability. It has nothing to do with being well off. Such giving is viewed as a privilege and a grateful response to God's grace poured out in a giver's heart. Well, what is at the root of such great giving? 
I mentioned grace, but look at verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You see, the grace of God had come into their lives and they in turn gave their lives back to God. Then they gave to God and to others as best they could. Listen. When we find something this awe-inspiring in Scripture, we need to interpret the Scriptures carefully to faithfully identify what is is the truth that's here. And I want to suggest this morning, this is what it is. It doesn't do any good for you and me to give our possessions to God unless we first give ourselves to Him. That's the truth that's here. The Macedonians gave themselves to God, and then they gave of what they had. You see, when we give our possessions to God without giving ourselves to God, we are, going, we are giving out of some ulterior motive that's different than honoring God. And then we become tempted to imagine that if we give enough substance... God will be pleased. If I give enough of an offering, if I give enough of a gift, God will be pleased with the amount that I give. Listen, it's not about the amount. Giving things instead of ourselves then can easily become a religion of works. So I ask you this morning, can we grasp the truth of that? I don't know what you're all understanding, what you've been taught before in your families and your church background about giving. But if you have not given your life to Christ, please don't give your money. God doesn't need your money. And more importantly, God does not want anyone to be deluded by Satan to believe that if I give money, somehow I will earn favor with God. God does not want that to happen. So if you've not given your life, if you've not given your heart to God, Don't give your money. You see, Paul's instruction is about believers. It's to believers. It's for believers and no one else. We are called, first of all, to give ourselves to God. And when we give ourselves to God in response to His grace that's been given to us, then we are able to give of our resources, but not before. Well, what are the implications of what Paul is saying for this Corinthian church. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. Insomuch, Paul writes, that we desire Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. You see, the church at Corinth was not like the Macedonian church. The church at Corinth was well-to-do. They didn't only have money. The church at Corinth abounded in gifts. They had gifts of faith. They had gifts of speech. They had gifts of knowledge, earnestness. They had gifts of love. But they didn't have the grace of giving. Despite all their qualities, they were immature, incomplete, 
Paul wants them to grow in the grace of giving. So what's the major truth of this passage? What can we look at this passage and understand to be the truth that it's saying to us? And I would suggest this is what it's saying. There is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing our finances to the Lord. Or consider this axiom. Jesus can have our money and not have our heart. But Jesus cannot have our heart and not have our money. Because Jesus wrote, said, as we have recorded in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this principle of truth can cause us as believers to stall and stagnate in our spiritual growth if we do not develop the grace of giving. And I know there are plenty of excuses of our flesh. Giving money's hard. I mean, it's tough times. I've got so many financial obligations. You know, I'll begin when I get my next raise, when I get the car paid off, when the children are done with school. Well, that's what Paul was trying to say to the Corinthians. But now what might this imply to us today? How do we take those scriptural truths we've looked at, how do we bring them across a couple thousand years and apply them to us today? Well, I find in verses 8 through 15, Paul is so helpful for us in doing this. Look at verse 8. I speak not by commandment. But by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Paul's appeal to the believers everywhere at every period of time in every culture is that we should consider our affluence and the grace God has shown to us. We then decide individually what we ought to give. Realizing that our gift proves the sincerity of our love for God. Now, that may be a hard truth for you to, gr to grasp this morning. But it's unmistakably true. Our giving reflects the sincerity of our love. You see, if we say we love God and we love others, and yet we don't give to God and give to others, what does that say about the sincerity of our love? Look at verse 9. Paul offers the example of Christ. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Giving reflects the sincerity of your love. Let me give you an example. Imagine if John 3.16 read this way. For God so loved the world that he gave nothing. What would you understand about the love of God for you? Or if the passage said, For God so loved the world that he gave a shiny red apple. And we say, wait a minute. God owns the universe. And he loved the world so much he gave one shiny red apple. Will we not have a right to question the sincerity of God's love? But no, that's not what it says, is it? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten Son. 
Okay, now we know how much God loves us. He gave his only son to die on a Christ cross. Now we know the sincerity of his love for us. So I suggest this morning that our giving reflects the sincerity of our love. Generous giving equals generous love. Stingy giving equals stingy love. Now, I know that's a tough truth, truth to swallow because we don't like to put those two together. Well, we talked last week about when it comes to applying Scripture, sometimes, often, there is a necessary application. It comes directly from Scripture. But then there are often other applications. There are those that can be a likely application. It honors the truth of the Word. There could be a possible application. It also honors the truth of the Word. There could even be an unlikely application. It still honors the truth of God's word. And we may find ourselves and other believers in the body of Christ in various places with those. And that's okay. We should not allow that to become divisive. We should not be critical of one another. Then there also are impossible applications. Well, let me take that approach with this passage. We have the necessary application for all believers. And a necessary application carries the weight of thus saith the Lord. The authority of God. And a necessary application, I think very clearly from scriptures, is that all believers are called to give in response to the grace of God in their life. That, that's clear from scripture. Well, let's look at possible other application. Verse 10 and 11. Paul says, And herein I give my advice. For this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Now see, while the New Testament does not set a figure anywhere for how much we are to give, not 5%, The requirement that God demanded from His people under the Old Testament could provide a likely application that a tithe or 10% would be a place to start. Although, do you know, tithe is not used anywhere in the Bible to refer to the New Covenant. The only times it even, the word even shows up in the New Testament is when it's referring to what was in the Old Testament. Okay? So we cannot say this morning that a tithe carries the authority of God's command. But it certainly is a likely application, a place to start. But again, according to God's grace in your life, does not have a, a, a number amount. What might be a possible application? Verse 12, according to your present life situation. There are times, there are some situations that you may be going through financially when 4 to 6% would be a massive undertaking. But again, the Macedonians, I don't know what percent they were giving, but they were giving far more than what people would have expected. And perhaps you've seen a time when someone comes that's very, very poor, 
and, and there's a huge need, and they want to give a dollar. They want to give something. Say, no, 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 you, you need it more than we need it. What? Do not rob them of the blessing of giving their quarter, their dollar. They're giving to God in response to the grace that he has shown to them. See, we get caught up in this thing of comparing amounts. It's not about that. So a possible application would be considering where, where your situation is or a starting place. Remember, the scripture does not demand. Now, an unlikely application, you might say this morning, well, God doesn't change. So in the Old Testament, if he commanded 25%, surely that's where we need to be today. We, we need to be 25%. I think it's unlikely because, again, the gospel has changed. They were to give so they wouldn't forget the grace of God and deliver them from Egypt and gave them the promised land. We don't celebrate those things today. But that doesn't violate. So if a believer says to you, I give 25%, I feel that's what the Old Testament did, bless them. That does not violate scriptural truth. But we cannot say to other believers, thou shalt do because God says. We can never say the scripture says what the scripture does not say. Well, what about an impossible application? Let me give you an example. Give it all. Every time you come to church, Dan, empty the pocketbook. Give everything. Scott, to the last penny. Because we have a scripture that says, there was a day in the temple where a widow showed up and gave her last two mites. So if you're faithful to God, you got to give your last two mites. So every one of you, I don't know what you gave in your offering day, and I don't want to know. But if there's anything in your pocket now, you didn't give. That's an impossible application of Scripture. That's an example of what I'm talking about. You see, as often as is the case, there are other Scriptures that we need to look at as well when we're looking at a topic. And I'll just show one this morning. Flip back in your Bible uh, to 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the church of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, that every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, I just want to show you how we often misunderstand Scripture. Paul says here, by suggesting the first day of the week, how often does the first day of the week come around? Weekly, right? There's regularity. That's very clear in Scripture. Our giving should be regular, regular okay? Planned. You see, the grace of giving is more planned than unplanned. Now, there is beauty in spontaneous, sporadic giving. But that's not the characteristic of the grace of giving. Otherwise, we'll be tempted to give out of our leftovers rather than according to priorities. Now, consider the expression of human depravity. What in our human nature rebels against giving? Selfishness. Every dollar I give, I could have spent on me. Right? 
That's the human depravity. That's what's intention with giving according to the grace of God. Notice he says here, everyone determine according to how God has prospered him. You see, that's not a uniform demanded everybody gives the same amount, is it? Well, where do we give? It's said to give as unto the Lord. How do you give to the Lord? Well, one of the ways that we need to think about giving to the Lord is His church. God has chosen, ordained the church to be the expression and the, the instrument He uses for His work in the world. And how is that to be funded? By the members of the church. Right? So certainly that has to be one of our priorities in giving. Now nowhere in Scripture do we find a command that everything you give has to be given to the church. There are many ministries and charities and needs to give. But I think it's a tragedy when across our country, and sometimes more in our country than other places in the world, there are churches who struggle to carry on their programs financially, either because their members have not learned the, gift, the grace of giving, or the majority of what they're giving is not to the church. Sometimes it's more exciting to give to Samaritan's Purse, or the Red Cross, or CAM, or you know what I'm saying? If we acknowledge that the church is the body of Christ and that he is head of the church. If we could literally see that today, we would be running to him with our offering, would we not? But we often forget that. So I think it's important for us to, no matter where you are in life, if you're relating to a church, if that's where you're receiving fellowship, instruction, comfort, care, that should be one of your priorities in giving. Well, hopefully this morning, as we wrap this up, hopefully I have helped us clearly identify scriptural truth. That you take with you, I don't care where you go from here. Five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, I don't know where you might be geographically. I don't know what church you might be relating to. It doesn't matter. You're still a member of the body of Christ. And no matter how it may look different, the truth that we've looked at this morning needs to govern your life. You need to respond to that truth. And some congregations have different programs of giving, and that's okay. And if you're a member of that congregation, if it doesn't violate Scripture, submit to that. But don't demand that the way that that is done is the way everybody has to do it. That's where we get into problem. But just because you're part of a congregation that emphasizes and calls you to give and then you become part of a congregation that says nothing about giving, oh, I don't give anymore. Really? Why were you giving then? Because the scripture calls you to give or because the church calls you to give? And we're going to be looking at that over and over and over again in things the next couple weeks. Next Sunday, to whet your appetite, maybe you already saw in the bulletin, we're looking at the Sabbath. 
Now that one causes a lot of consternation, doesn't it? How should we observe the Sabbath, the Lord's Day? That's next Sunday. Well, I hope this morning we've identified some clear truth of Scripture, what it is, how important it is, and how it reveals the affection of our heart. I hope we've identified the necessary application for all believers that carries the authority of thus saith the Lord. And that is, all believers are called to give joyfully as unto the Lord in response to the grace that is extended to you. It has nothing to do with your income. It has nothing to do with your position in life. You give in accordance to the grace that he has shown you. And that's going to look different. It may look different in different phases in your life. But that is what you're called to. We've considered the examples of likely, possible, and unlikely application. We've looked at an impossible application. I hope that we have heard this morning the call for us as believers and members of the body of Christ to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to show us how we are to apply the truth we looked at this morning in our lives in a meaningful way that brings glory and honor to Him. That's what we're called to do. See, that's different in the Old Testament. We have the Spirit. And you need to start today. Now, remember, although maybe you heard truth this morning that you had never heard before, Maybe you heard truth this morning you heard, but you had kind of put aside. Maybe you've been challenged this morning about some of your giving, where you give, when you give, how you give, your attitude toward giving. You still haven't applied Scripture. You haven't applied anything. You haven't applied anything until you do it. So that's my challenge to us this morning. And there's always tomorrow. No, the time to begin is today. The time is to begin today. There's never a more convenient time than today. Well, let me wrap this up with an example I read about. A man, a pastor, was visiting his congregation about this truth of giving. And he went out to one of the farmers in his congregation, a rather poor farmer, and he was helping him understand this importance of according to the grace that God has given to you. And he said, well, well brother, if, if you had two $100 bills... Now, that day, that was a whole lot. Would you be willing to give one of them? He said, yes, sir. I, pastor, I would. I, I'd give one. If I had two, I'd give one. He said, good. If you had two horses, would you be willing to give one? Well, he didn't have any horses. I would, Pastor. If I had two horses today, I'd be willing to give one. He said, well, if you had two cows today, would you be willing to give one of your cows? I would, Pastor. I'd give one. He said, well, if you had two pigs, would you be willing to give one? He said, now, Pastor, that's not fair. You know I've got two pigs. You see, so often that's where we get caught. I hope we can go through this together and learn some of these principles. And my challenge for all of us, especially for you young people who probably can say what my parents expect of me, what my church expects of me, but do you understand what the Bible says? That's what I want to take us to 
as we look at these next couple things. Next Sunday, the Sabbath. And then we're going to have our renewal meetings, and then we'll look at some other things beyond that. Let's pray. Father, this morning, how grateful we are that we have your word. How grateful we are that you have given us clear instruction about your heart, about our need. You have revealed your grace to us through the gift of your only Son. You have shown your love to us. And Father, may we seek to be in communion with you. To first of all give our hearts to you and then make available to you everything that we have and are. May your spirit take the truth that we have looked at this morning. May it take root in our lives and bring forth fruit for your glory.